Next Chapter Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's coming from so far away. It's hard to say for sure. I mean, just the way that this song brings you in. Could be the soundtrack to so many movies. Could be the soundtrack to who knows what. But it also could be about the apocalypse. The song is The Fuse. It's by Jackson Brown from his 1976 album, The Pretender. It's also... Number 391 out of 500 on The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Thank you to everybody that's tuning in for this episode and that's been tuning in uh, to every episode. Uh, You are now in the Fleece Army, man. I love you guys. You've made the coronavirus just breeze by. Also, thank you everybody that came to Soul Joel's in Royer's Ford, Pennsylvania. Uh, To everybody else, if you are in Texas on the 10th, of December. I will be at Midnight Rodeo in San Antonio, Texas. That is December 10th, Midnight Rodeo, headlining set. And then on December 11th and the 12th, I will be with Big J Okerson at the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas. And you can get all of the tickets at my website, joshadammyers.com. Also, sign up for our YouTube page. Hit subscribe at the500podcast.com to our YouTube and join our Patreon because we are giving you so much good stuff for only $5 a month. You get all the video for the podcast right there. We got a new podcast dropping. You got my day in music, whole bunch of stuff coming, and you get free merch. Find all that on the website, the500podcast.com. Now, this is our second Jackson Brown record. We already did for every man. If I don't know if you listen, but with Judd Apatow, I mean, you know, only one of the biggest producers and directors in the game. But if you haven't checked to see who this week's episode's guest is, dude, we are bringing heat. I'm going to tell you guys this right now. We have got a string of guests that is going to blow your zookies through your wang bones. You know what I'm saying? Let's find out about this one. Because I'm becoming a Jackson Brown fan. Once I do these interviews and I talk to the guests, it's like I am... I feel the love that they have for him. All right, so here, let's get into it. Starting, released on November 1976 on Asylum Records and produced by John Landau. That's a name that we've seen constantly throughout this. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. This is the fourth album by American singer-songwriter Jackson Brown. Uh, We're not going to give you the full breakdown. Uh, If you want the full breakdown on Jackson's life, go to the Judd Apatow episode. So I'll fill you in for here we are for this one. So Jackson was writing and playing when he was a teenager in Los Angeles and people were soon successfully covering his songs, making him an in-demand songwriter of the new, like, laid-back, mellow California rock scene. However, in comparison to his contemporaries, Jackson's songs were almost more poetically mature and searching for meaning in both of our lives and our life itself while deeply rooted in romanticism. 
After the Eagles had a big hit with Take It Easy, a song he co-wrote with the Eagles' Glenn Fry, his performing career really started catching up with his writing. Jackson was also like a male version of Linda Ronstadt, who was the desired female darling of the scene, and he dated even Nico and Laura Nairo and Joni Mitchell before he was 24. What's up, you sexy motherfucker, Jackson? Good golly, Miss Molly, you getting the goods, baby. You getting the goods. Now, I don't know if you remember, but we did For Every Man. That was his second record, and that had the song Ready or Not about him meeting and getting together with model actress Phyllis Major and them expecting their first son, Ethan, that year. Well, they got married at the end of 1975, and Phyllis and Ethan even accompanied Jackson on that year's Late for Sky tour. Then he started working on the follow-up record. Now, several of the songs, including the title track, concern themselves with the loss of the dreams of 60s idealism and a trade for the material excesses and comfort during the 70s. In that way, he predicted the rise of the yuppies in the 80s. As he explained it, the idea is that we're pretending to go along with something that isn't quite where we belong. A default version of reality with a job and a house. Dude, Jackson Brown is kind of like an existentialist. You've been reading Kierkegaard, Jackson? You've been reading some? I know you is. The musicians assembled for the record were mostly stars and studio pros of the California rock scene, including, dude, check out this list, Don Henley, David Crosby, Graham Nash, J.D. Souther, Bonnie Raitt, Waddy Watchell, Toto drummer Jeff Porcaro, Little Feet keyboardist Bill Payne, and guitarist Lowell George and Fred Tackett, as well as Roy Bitten from the E Street Band on piano and Jackson's longtime multi-instrumentalist David Lindley. Tragically, during recording and only four months after their marriage, Phyllis overdosed on pills and died in an apparent suicide at their home in Hollywood. It instantly left him as a widowed single father of a two-year-old, and he took a break for several months to deal with everything. Jackson was never one to shy away from frank and heavy subject matter, so during that time off, he channeled his insurmountable loss into some of the songs and overall tone and returned to continue recording. Although some critics found it less focused and too similar to his previous records and style, it was an overall well-received record. It went to number five on the Billboard album charts. By the end of the year, it went platinum for the first of three times. And Jackson went on to make 10 more albums, selling over 18 million records, and became almost as famous for his outspoken liberal democratic point of view through activism and charity work for such causes as curbing the expansion of nuclear power and supporting at-risk youth. I've hung out with Jackson. Uh, I mean, even water bottles. The dude is behind. He's anti-water bottles. Dude, one of the nicest guys in the fucking world. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Bruce Springsteen in 2004. And earlier this year in March, he released A Little Soon to Say, the first single from his as-yet-to-be-untitled 15th album, which got pushed back due to the pandemic. And in March, check this shit out, it also announced that he had caught COVID-19, but it did not take him, thank God. You can't beat Jackson Brown, covid Go fuck yourself, COVID. You're taking everything, but you're not taking Jackson Brown. And my guest today is somebody that I've looked up to as a comedian, as an actor, since I was a little kid. From the great state of Pennsylvania in the Commonwealth of Philadelphia. I don't even know if that's what it's called. From Temple University, from Full House, the best scene in Half-Baked, the one and only Bob Saget. Guys, 
this was a dream to be able to talk to Bob Saget, just to talk to him because, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. But this is why I love doing the podcast is because sometimes you get these guests that, man, they have such a connection to the record that it just moves them. That's why I love music. Music moves us. It, 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 if, if you should be crying at least once a month from one of these albums or from something on the radio, whatever it is, just put your heart and put your soul into the music when you listen to these records and it will touch you not in a dirty way it will touch your soul rate review and most importantly subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all platforms if you're listening on apple music give us a five-star rating leave a review do it for me for christmas or hanukkah or kwanzaa follow me at josh adam myers on all social media go to my website joshadammyers.com for all my shows and clips email the podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com follow the facebook group run by crazy evan at the 500 podcast with jam and for all things 500 go to our website the 500 podcast.com here we go with number 391 the pretender by jackson brown everywhere you go everywhere there's a heart there's a heart and bob saget has one enjoy the episode This is great, dude, because when we saw that this was coming up and uh, my head writer found out it was you, he said, this is a perfect combination of guest and album. And what's his name? And my writer is the one and only Morty Coyle. And I've known Morty forever. And he's, he, he's, I knew him back in the day when I would go to the clubs. Morty thought that I was a good fit for this album. He did. In your, how many albums have you done in the history of your podcast? 110. You're 110th. Wow, You're on, and that's and that's that's why we got you because we wanted it to be big. We wanted to celebrate it. We right, one hundred and ten. <laughs> that's a real. That's yeah. the uh, I don't know the Chrome anniversary. So so go ahead. I'm um, tell me your relationship with this album in Jackson Brown. Well, the the album came out in '76, and I was living in Philadelphia, going to Temple University. And I was Temple Owls, Temple Owls John Cheney, Mark Macon. Oh, you're saying it all. Are you from Philly? No, my dad went to Temple and I used to be obsessed back in 88 when Mark Macon was a star and they lost to Duke in the quarterfinals or the semifinals before the NCAA. I'm, dude, I'm a Quincy Wadley, Eddie Jones, Aaron McKee. I could go through oh, my everybody. Grandmother. I have a Quincy I, Wadley I, jersey. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Can I have it? All right. Fuck it. I, I don't hardly ever wear it. I'll It'll bleach it. you. <laughs> yeah yeah so i was uh working in a deli and um i had a girlfriend who later became my wife and then became my ex-wife and is now my friend um uh, there you go and that and there's only one other person that i could think of that has a relationship uh with someone and is able to sometimes keep it stable and that's jackson brown which <laughs> <laughs> how did i do that but um I was working in a deli and driving to Temple University, and I'd never missed a, a Jackson Brown album from the first one, Jackson Brown, to For Every Man, which I thought was one of the best things I'd ever heard in my whole life. It's phenomenal. Uh, the song For Every Man, and we're not talking about that. We're going to be talking about The Pretender, because you asked me to choose um, between two different artists, and, and Don Henley, um, End of the Innocence, right? Yes. And uh, Jackson Brown, The Pretender. And I love both albums. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I was 
doing the same thing, but with End of the Innocence, for some reason, I started listening to that later. But with Jackson, he just hit me, and I had never seen him at the main point in Philly, which is where he used to perform, where Bruce used to perform. Uh, Martin Mull I saw there with his furniture, and he would <laughs> sing comedy songs, so he was an influence on me. Yeah. But Jackson just moved to the bigger rooms, uh, you know, the bigger outdoor places. I think it was the Robin Hood Dell or something in the outskirts of Philly. And I would see him whenever I could. When every man came out, and that's a ballad everybody owes it to themselves to listen to, especially now. 100%. Anyone who's a poet, who's um, an artist from any age that was, you know, listen to Dylan, you know, uh, the times they are changing has never gone away, you know, unless all things are destroyed, <laughs> which is not possible at all because <laughs> things are going great during the end of days right so now. So great. Yeah, the locusts are coming. I'm excited. Um, and then uh, Late for the Sky just kind of uh, broke my heart, you know. And um, But then the album right after that, correct? I got the order right? Yes, this is right after that. It's right after Late for the Sky. So uh, in 1976, The Pretender came out, and two songs were on the radio. Uh, one were Here Come Those Cheers Again and The Pretender, and they were popular songs on the radio. The album, this is all people care about, which is unfortunate, but it was nominated for a Grammy. And then all the millennials, or not millennials, sorry, what's, what's newer than Gen X? Um, Gen Z? Gen Z, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen Z would go, well, it didn't win the Grammy, you know. So it's an amazing album, and it's a work of art. And it's only 35 minutes long, and it's only eight songs. And each one is so amazing because he did a lot of personal stuff. That's why all the artists I love and I think you guys love. Yeah. I mean, like Bruce, you know, you listen to Bruce, and you go, holy shit, you know, how much. And I caught up to Bruce late. Me too. You know, I saw him on the River Tour, and I didn't see the Born to Run Tour, and I didn't even know the first his first two albums because I was a moron. And then once I caught on um, and Born to Run, then I went and did everything of past, and I went, oh, my God, this is a genius. And he actually, Jackson Brown is, there's a, there is a, osmosis of some kind you know and i know he's been on stage with bruce and bruce and patty actually sang the pretender on um on one really of their, yeah that's what i looked up on uh on on a collection a tribute to jackson brown which must have been the rock and roll hall of fame i would think i think bruce i'm almost positive that i read that bruce springsteen inducted Oh, Jackson well, into the he rock he did and, hall of and fame. yeah and i think the song they sang was not that it was linda paloma that, if I'm correct. And Linda Paloma is the song that Bruce and Patty sang as a duet and covered it as a tribute to him. And that's on The Pretender as well. So he, there is so much emotion in Jackson's stuff. And this, I, I got to be very careful here because everyone goes through tragedy and he's had his share. Yeah. And this album, The Pretender, came after. 
his wife's death. Yes, and he had a son to he had a son to raise. So yeah, so so for everybody listening, if you if you don't know the backstory of this is uh, he, which is so crazy that this is the second album that we're doing by Jackson because in For Every Man he has that song Ready or Not where he talks about meeting Phyllis and getting her pregnant. And then he started and they got married. I think that was 1973 when For Every Men came out. And then he starts writing this record and he assembles all these great musicians like Don Henley and David Crosby and Graham Nash and Bonnie Raitt and Waddy and just so many different people. And Jackson has always been somebody, like you said, that could write and sing about life's fleeting nature and yearning for love amidst the chaos but when he started working on this record, um, which at first was going to be specifically addressing waking up out of the 60s idealist dream, idealistic dream, I'm sorry, and facing the often harsh reality of life. Of I life. thought this was right off the top of your head. Now I'm realizing yeah, I you're reading it. I know, it. dude. I, I, keep I thought you were up, just dude. this genius who just loves every, every <laughs> record ever. Damn it, Josh. Why do you stutter? Why do you get nervous? You're doing Chris Farley. (laughs) Why did I say that? Oh, I'm so stupid. What an idiot. (laughs) But, dude, because here's the thing, man, is that like, and this is all Morty. Morty and me spent about two hours prior to this talking about it because I, we were talking about me doing the podcast, is that I, I don't know everything about these records. Morty has been there guiding me through this like making sure i focus on certain things but with this record and with jackson it's like he's one of those artists you don't want to fuck up like we've done we did the beatles earlier this week you don't want to fuck up the beatles who, so I who, make who's sure. who was your guest who screwed up the beatles fucking joel McHale. oh that is the wrong choice know, he, he's a, he's a boyfriend of mine but i mean you got to get somebody that's like right there i, I mean we tried right gets it we tried could, Ringo would be the guy. Ringo, yeah, Paul's, Paul ain't going to do it. Ringo's not going to do it. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying Jackson Brown has a melancholy. Uh, there's a pathos in everything that he does. I mean, all things must pass. All things must pass away. And then when you listen to um, every for every man, you know, these days is on there. Oh, I love that so much. These days I sit and... Um, what God, I don't want to get the lyrics wrong because I'm all I'm loaded for the pretender. But think about all the things I forgot to do for you and all the times that was supposed to. Um, and and I've had a lover. It's so hard to risk another these days. I mean, his lyrics are what hit me. And he would in concert, he would go, here's another sad song. You know, he would always <laughs> go, here's another, you know, romantically uh, lost song. Um Here's another one about a breakup, you know, and, and, but this album, you know, when he breaks into the pretender and no matter what age you are, when you start to hear, you know, the greatest music, you know, this, the moment the beginning starts and that opening riff starts, what do you call that? The very opening of a song, the, the uh, overture, I don't know. The, no, no, it's, it's, the, it's, it's whatever the handle is that gets you into the song, but there's. You know, uh, certain beginnings of song. It's like the opening of Honky Tonk Woman. I mean, you you know where you're going. You know, yes. yeah. so um, 
with the song The Pretender, which is the uh, climax and one of the longer songs on the album. It's a lot of short songs on this album. Again, it's only 35 minutes long, which means people should listen to it because that's all the attention span. Although in <laughs> quarantine, we have yeah. more of an attention span. Yeah, you need sometimes. like a quadruple-sided uh, record in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> this is right. It's, uh, everything's two, two uh, albums. But this one... Uh, it says, I was looking it up, and it said side one, and it lists four songs. Side two, and it lists four songs. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's no more sides, but I do have the LP of this album. <laughs> oh, so, nice. And I got a turntable just to my left, and it's got my name on it because my album's on it. Um, nice. <laughs> this album hit me really, really hard. I didn't even know the personal story behind it when I saw him play it live, and when I started listening to it on a loop. It's one of those things when you hear a song and you just don't stop playing that song. So, and, and that happened to me. I, in 76, I was gone to film school, Temple University. This album comes out. I'm kind of lost. I think I'm going to move to L.A. I end up moving there in 78, and that's when I'm driving on La Cienega heading north towards Santa Monica Boulevard, and I'm going to make a left, so I'm going to pass the Troubadour, and that's when Every Breath You Take by the Police comes on for the first time. First time I ever heard it, not for the first oh, wow. time. So it's the first time I ever heard it. And then I went like, how do you, how does anybody write a new song? How, how do, Music's all been done. How yeah. is it possible? Because a lot of the music we hear now are samples. And then some hip-hop is like, what the hell was that? That's great, you know? Yeah. Or some brand new something. And you go, no, that's Justin Bieber. Oh, my God, it's good. And then it is. And then, but things happen. And yeah. people, talented people, you know, uh, do things because they're special in that. And I don't want to leave it at Justin Bieber, by the way. But, um, I mean, I like Taylor Swift's last album because it's still coming from where she's at. You know, yeah, um, people love her. I, I, have, I have no one song by her, and I, and it's only because my niece has just played it for me. Well, but you I love should it. Ha hang out with them once you're wearing a mask and totally have the vaccine. But um, I, I've, uh, I've had COVID and just got tested again, and still have the antibodies. Oh, that's yeah. really good. Thank you. What about uncle bodies? All anybody talks about is antibodies. <laughs> I mean, he's left out. She got everything antibody. <laughs> great uncle, great uncle bodies. <laughs> I used to date a girl. She was antibody. She just didn't want me to go near hers. Um, <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, the Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. So Jackson's always talking about unrequited love. Yeah. And uh, and this is when you lose someone, when you lose your wife um, and you have a kid, that is 
completely unrequited. Couldn't imagine. You know, so, and I've had a lot of loss in my family. Yeah. uh, When this album came out, um, both, one of my sisters was really not well. I'm trying to remember when she passed away, but she had a hard one. And our family always had a lot of difficulty in death. So if that stuff is part of your life, you're attracted to people that ease that pain. For sure. And if it's done melodically and lyrically the way Jackson has, um, it's it's just uh, this. The Pretender is to me a miracle. I mean, I I could talk about it if you want. I got I got pages. I got I got a book. I don't really want to talk about it now. I've kind of lost my mojo. But um, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, are we gonna we're gonna get? I have some stuff I want to bring up during some of the songs. Yeah, I want this to be an interchange. I'm very much a a a, a, what? Let me mute you. No, I was gonna say I'm a uh, I'm a collaborator. I love. I can tell you're great at it, and you know stuff that I know about this because you did the same googling. Yeah, but what's <laughs> dude? My, I'm like, I'm good at Google. I'm not gonna lie. What what I found, and you're right, because for every man, definitely struck a chord with me on so many levels. And this record, because I've dealt with with loss, and even though this record wasn't about the loss of his wife, it definitely casted a shadow over the rest of the recording and when he really started diving into it and and people just kind of assumed because you have to bring something like that up when you release an album like this and something tragic happens literally right before it so yeah. and it also starts- some, some artists don't some don't because some don't but they're not meant to you know this is a a, a man a really kind and a really amazing man who i've had the pleasure of knowing yeah uh, more recently in the past decade and so kind and he um it's like therapy you know and you're you're helping others but it's an artist has it just comes out of an artist you yeah know? he I, i've i've much like you i mean you're probably much closer i've been able through my friend tall wilkenfeld who i've talked about on this uh i've been able to hang out with jackson a few times and a lot of the people that worked on this record and I couldn't agree with you more. One of the sweetest human Gentle. beings. Gentle. You know, as some people want to say, he's a guy's guy, too. He's a man's man. For but sure. he's also a ladies' man, not a ladies' man in the lascivious way. But, you know, this guy was a was a, a ballad singer who became a rock singer. Yeah. Uh, who then, you know, people would know, oh, that's from Fast Times. You know, yeah. somebody's baby. And when people hear that, that's like their their song, you know. And, and but and he's written so many. Th- I mean, he wrote, co-wrote or wrote "Take It Easy," um, and that's how yet he, he was close with the Eagles, so they were all tied together. But this album, I don't think "For Every Man" was produced by John Landau, but the Pretender was. I'm not sure, but he might have, because because John Landau, of course, one of the greatest producers of all of music, uh, Bruce Springsteen's producer and. If you watch the most recent documentary with Bruce, John Landau is there, and there's a particular song that Bruce sings that John can't emotionally get himself together because it affects him because it's so many years of of a partnership and of of making working with 
undeniably one of the greatest music artists of all time. For sure. What's so cool about doing this podcast is that we I've I've seen John Landau's name pop up so many times. Oh, so he's far. he's a genius. Genius. Well, John Landau, he he did uh, Born in the USA, Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, uh, Human Touch, uh, The Pretender. Uh, let's see, the very best of Jackson Brown. Um, I mean, he's he's just you know he's a he's a force to be reckoned with. Um, and he's an amazing person. I'd love to meet him, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> well, it just so happens we got John right here. Come on I, up. <laughs> I have Marshall McLuhan right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know nothing of my theories. Um, just lost all the audience. But um, I, I, I go ahead, because I want to talk about this well, album. Let's dive, let's, dive, let's dive into the record, okay? So it opens with the fuse, and... Jackson was always searching for meaning in the face of time. And on this, he starts with the world and then looks within. I think the lyrics uh, are a bit confusing as the fuse could be about burning towards apocalypse or counting down to enlightenment. Uh, I, I, I think it's both. Okay. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a ticking clock when he goes, um, you know, whatever it is you might think you have, you have nothing to lose. Through every dead and living thing, time runs like a fuse, and the fuse is burning, and the earth is turning. So that sounds like uh, there's a, a clock ticking, but he also tries to alleviate your fears. Um, and he goes, through the years give way to uncertainty, and the fear of living for nothing strangles the will. There's a part of me that speaks to the heart of It's hard not to sing it. But the best thing that he says applies this moment which is, oh, Lord, are there people really starving still? Look out beyond the walls of Babylon. How long will their needs go unfulfilled? I want to say right now I'm going to be around. And it turns rock and roll. I mean, it's a rock and roll song. It comes out of the gate. The album starts with a heartfelt Jackson Brown song, but it, it's rock and roll. But there's know? also I want to I want to play this one little part because there's because I'm not let me stress this before I play this part. Uh I love this song, but it has this weird time signature change that that just kind of threw me off a little bit. Peter, play 159. Yeah, that's the that's the lyric I read. Exactly. So it no, I know what sound bites you're going to use. Oh, you do? Would you see? Do you see my screen? No, but you you know the poignant parts of his songs for sure. I mean, you're you do music, you know. Yeah, yeah, but so it goes from this heart wrenching singer songwriter song to almost, in my opinion, like disco inferno. But like Bob, what I want to say is this is not a bad song because then you have these incredibly phenomenal parts like this one. Play three twenty five. my head right now mr no, I just, no i did my work 
No, I told you, other really people standing still, starving, starving still, and uh, and that's. Let me just tell you the end of the song. Yeah, because because him saying, "Are there really people starving still?" You know, it's it's it ain't getting quieter in that area. Yeah. you know, in our world, the very end of this song is, uh, you know, I want to say right now, I'm going to be around when the walls and towers are crumbling, when the towers are tumbling down, and I will tune my spirit to the gentle sound. I want to hear the sound of the waters lapping on a higher ground of the children laughing. So that's the last lyric, the children laughing. So that's a positive it does. end note. Yeah. It's a very complex song. Yes, it does have that little bit of a, a disco rumble in it, but it, it, was, it was so of the time that he was right on the cusp, right, doing exactly combining two kinds of music which he hadn't done before. So yeah. I'm sure John Landau had a piece of that, but that's all Jackson. Oh, for sure. I wanted to ask you a question, because speaking of the fuse, so like who, or, or maybe it was a thing, what lit the fuse that started you off to where you are today? Um, I think being alone a lot and not having a lot of friends. Um, so when I was about 16, I was living in an apartment in Philadelphia because I moved in the middle of ninth grade uh, from Norfolk, Virginia to Encino, California. And then between 11th and 12th grade, I moved back to Philadelphia where I was born. So I was a loner. So that's another reason why this album would speak so much to me because it's about, you look at the album cover, it's him just walking amongst people and he's, he's alone. He's with people, but he's alone. And um, that's what I was doing. So I started writing really bad songs at 16 years old, serious ones. And then I started writing comedy songs. And then at 17 years old, I won a radio contest, WMMR in Philadelphia, for a song about bondage. And a 17-year-old singing a song about bondage. That's kind of (laughs) weird. And then um, I kept doing stand-up. And it, it kind of... I'm trying to think what inspired me. I, th- I was going to be a doctor. I, was, I went to pre-med classes for one semester yeah. at Temple. And then I would sneak in the Latin Casino and see Don Rickles. I saw a lot of music acts. I would see Martin Mull. I would, uh, you know, people that I just looked up to that I ended up knowing is kind of the crazy part to be friends with Rickles and, uh, you know, loving Rodney and then watching Richard Pryor's early stuff and ended up, knowing him and being in a movie with him. But I didn't know. It found me. It all found me. Doors either opened, and when they don't open, I, I stopped pushing because you can't push. Yeah, but, but this is one of those albums that, to go back to it, it it's, it's very organic. You know, all of his music's organic. Jackson is an organic guy. And I found all of his music, and especially on The Pretender, it kind of everything came into, into sync as being someone who was right where he was. So it's meditative in a way. Very, yes. His music is very, very meditative. I, which I takes to, you to the next song. Uh, which I asked you. But before we go, because you keep mentioning Philly, can you do, do you do like the Philadelphia accent? Like, hold out. I can't really. <laughs> no, that's British. No, it's not. What are you talking about? First of all, we're going to Wawa. We're going to go get a hoagie. I'm listening yeah, to it's, ho- it's a, ho- a hoagie. I can't do the accent because I when I lived there I had it. Did you? And then when I, yeah, yeah, I would, <laughs> I, and I listened to recordings of myself. I was kind of, and then I I moved so much I kind of got a, a compilation of accents, which is whatever <laughs> this is. But um, 
I do, you know, I don't, I love Philly. And I I, love I'm it loving too. it more now and missing it more now. And I think it's because I can't go there. I was supposed to perform there right now. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just a hard, hard time. And that's a place where everybody went, you know, Bruce was all through Philly and playing, you know, I played the tower, you know, I played where Bruce played, where Jackson played. That was the place, you know, I think Hendrix played there and it's, it's not the best room for comedy. Uh, it's, you know, everybody's stoned and they're yelling for hoagies. <laughs> Come on, play it. Wait, oh, this is, oh, this is a comic. Okay, okay, I'm ready to laugh. Okay. Okay, Okay. all right, next song, Your Bright Baby Blues. So this is a pretty standard country rock song about seeking salvation from a woman featuring friend and drug buddy Lowell George of Little Feet on slide guitar. There's also a mention- Well, drug buddy, I don't know how you say that. I mean, the the guy- obviously uh smokes pot for sure but um, there's but they mention it in this part in the song so here peter play 410 this friend of mine said close your eyes try a few of these and try a few of these yeah, dude. Try a few of these. So that's pills, I would imagine. Could be. I think so. Now, I, now, now, who the fuck can write that? That's so beautiful. But, you know, I, I, he took, he took whatever. He's flying like a bird, so far up above my sorrow. But when I looked down, I was standing on my knees. That means you can't get up. You aren't accomplishing anything. And then he goes, "Now I need someone to help me. Someone to help me, please." Now, I mean, you know, the first rule is acceptance. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. you know, you know, and and then, I mean, it it the, the, all the lyrics. This the music is amazing to this song. This song made me cry because it had this desperation. He then goes, "Baby, if you need me, like I know I need you, there's just one thing I'll ask you to do. Take my hand." This is the last lyric of the whole song. Take my hand and lead me to the hole in the garden wall. And pull me through, pull me through. So he's asking for help, and he wants it through love. But you know, it it's just people really need to hear this album. Uh, it, it it this we're all kind of lost right now, all of us. And I'm attracted to music that centers me to where we're at, and it can be brand new. I don't care. It can be you know. I just watched Eight Mile the other night. You know, it doesn't have enough of his music in it, but, you know, Eminem centers me, you know, um, certain I'm retroing quite a bit. I like to hear new stuff, but during this time, I think a lot of people go for comfort, food, comfort, music. Oh, for sure. It's like, I, I, I mean, the whole time I've been out here in Maryland with my family while LA shut down, I'm, we're watching the, the best eighties movies, the movies that we grew up with, like Pee Wee's big adventure, because it feels it just feels safe and it's secure. And so something like this, it's almost like this album was meant to be discussed now at this stage of the quarantine for all the listeners and for us to have to well, like when, really dig when, into it. When you mentioned it to me, I was right in sync with it because Good. it's it's where, but a lot of albums are like that, you know? Uh, Bruce's Darkness on the Edge of Town is right now. I mean, a lot of Bob Dylan is right now, you know? 
there's a lot of music that throughout the past 50 years, 70 years, whatever. I mean, you want to hear a good piece of Muddy Waters blues, you're right now, you know? It, it doesn't really matter. It's not, it's not party time, and yet we want it to be, and that's why so many people have, you know, broken boundaries and done what they're not supposed to do socially because they can't take it. They don't want to sit home reflective. They want to go out and live their life, um, and I get it, you know, but we're almost there. We're at the finish line it's worse than ever right now, but people don't want to believe that. That doesn't matter. What matters is what the truth is and what will happen. And this kind of music, this album, all of his work, but this album, uh, it just takes you to a place. I mean, I listened to it right before we did this. I listened to it again. And I'm like, boy, it's every song is hitting me. Every single song. It's only eight songs. I know. And some of them are two to three minutes long. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bright Baby Blues is six minutes and five seconds long. And uh, just to back up, uh, the the first one, the fuse, that one is uh, five minutes and 50 seconds long. So those are kind of longish by radio standards. Also, Bob, I think they could have cut, they could have cut the fuses like outro because there's like a minute and a half of an outro. Well, he does, uh, you keep wanting to cut uh, perfect albums, but so you can do it all you want. <laughs> do it with Super Tramp. I don't give a shit about them. But what happens with a lot of these songs also is they fade out, and that's producing. That's you decide to fade them out, and so that's or maybe Jackson just started playing quieter and quieter until he was done. Well, I will tell you in concert, <laughs> yeah, that you know this song continues, uh, Bright Baby Blues. And I'm going to say some of the artists that are on this. He's got David Lindley playing a steel guitar, you know. So, if, or, or you know, you got people on violin. You know, when you have uh, the artists, slide guitar is David Lindley on this album. And he did a lot of Jackson's. He was there for a lot of it. And Russ Kunkel's on the drums. And Russ was like, I saw him tour with Linda Ronstadt and just a lot of people. He, he's got uh, Roy Bitten on piano from the E Street Band. I mean, that's who's playing piano on this album. And, you know, uh, Wadi Wachtel is on guitar. These are like legends till the end of time. You know, there, there's, it's a non-discussion. The people that are working on this thing, Don Henley is doing Harmony, Bonnie Raitt, J.D. Souther, David Crosby, Graham Nash. I mean, all of these Bill people. Bill Payne. You got Toto's, Jeff Porcaro. Yeah, you've got, uh, it, it's just, it's nuts. And, because it's a it's a real and so in concert I am telling you that there wasn't a fade out it had to end it had to have a real you know coda to it and it does it has a, it has a flourish all of this music does in concert they don't no one fades out in concert except a few people I've heard do it and it doesn't doesn't seem to be too fashionable <laughs> no. anymore I wanted to ask you because I am I am such a fan of yours and being that this no. song has I mean a huge fan bro. You, dude, I got into a discussion yesterday with my comedian friend, Justine Marino, who's obsessed with you. Wow. Obsessed with you. Um, but it's just, I, I knowing you and now, like, for the way it started with Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos and then seeing, you know, the, the real you on stage as a stand-up, I've never been able to know is, like, did you ever have a phase with substances? Of course. 
Of course, I, I lived at home in my parents' apartment while I worked in a deli and went to Temple University Film School. Yeah. And I did nothing. <laughs> I did absolutely nothing. So when I came to L.A. at 21 years old and I won the Student Academy Award for a documentary I made uh, at Temple and I got accepted at the Comedy Store, it was two to three years of... Uh, I made friends with a couple people. They became my best friends and... Pot was nothing, you know, that was like, I, I smoked for a couple of years, so I, I got it out of my system, because it's all that was in my system, and then coke for probably about a year or two, maybe a year solid, and then a year not, and then, of course, mushrooms, because you got to do something while you drive, yeah. and um, <laughs> never took LSD, never took acid, um, e- ecstasy, of course, because I wanted to deplete my spinal fluid, uh, never put a needle in my arm, but I did, as I got older, had uh, my sciatica got so bad that I had an epidural and I was a big fan of propofol. Ooh. You know, I would, I would fake an, uh, you know, sciatica so I could just get uh, the propofol. You went doctor shopping? No way. Do <laughs> we have so much in common? <laughs> no, and I, I would never uh, take it. And I have sleep issues because yeah. look at me, uh, but uh, yeah. So my early twenties. And so, and I was hanging out with, you know, yeah, I was at the comedy store. It was I got Sam Kennison his first spot at the comedy store. How did he thank me? So um, <laughs> that's not true, but but yeah, drugs were. It was the early eighties. I mean, it was it was drugs and comedians and. What was your drug of choice if you could choose? Fizzies, fizzies. You just put a like a like an Alka Seltzer and it became cherry soda. I'm talking fizzies, literally fizzies, not not uh, it's not a candy. drug. Yeah, no, that's yeah, the candy or pixie sticks. Yeah, the sugar pixie stick. <laughs> I liked pot for a while, but it made me very paranoid. And now, of course, people say, "Bob, just here's a pen. You're gonna like it. It'll mellow you." Now there's all a pot named after me, you know, and people think I'm a pothead, and I, I'm not. I've done enough drugs that after having done them in the early 80s, I just taught people to think I'm stoned all the time. I do a podcast, of course. Uh, uh, who doesn't? My my paper kid. <laughs> yeah, they do a podcast. Paper, my UPS driver. They all, everybody has a my podcast. My rabbi does a podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> most, uh, a lot do. It's called Meshbucha uh, time. <laughs> right, right. Kadittelhofferville. And uh, this one uh, is called Bob Saget's Here For You. It's been on for a year, and I got a lot of, I have wonderful people on it. Joel McHale, who ruined your Beatles uh, tribute. Ruined. Um, what are you going to do? It's Joel. I mean, he, he, I love him. He did a thing for me for my Scleroderma Research Foundation that I am on the board of. Yeah. Because I have a sister that I lost. She lived in Philly. Um, I had another one that I lost. She was 34. The one, And she had a brain aneurysm. And the other one, and we're going to get back into Jackson because of this, what I'm telling you about. And my other sister was 47, and she died of scleroderma, which is hardening of the skin. Nobody knew anything. And now we've raised like $45 million that goes right to research. We just did a virtual uh, uh, event um, and, in October, and Joel McHale almost ruined that. He, uh, he, people did, we raised $1.1 million on a virtual event. And Joel Gallant produced it for me because uh, he's He directed a my TV show. He, Joel he Gallon's was, the best person that could direct. He is, I mean, if you saw the virtual, um, not virtual, but the non-audience-filled uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just now, that I think it's on HBO Max, I think it's what it's on, it's beautific. It's so great. If you have, people haven't seen it, they have to see this damn thing. Joel, they gave him an honorary Emmy after 9-11, if you recall, everybody recalls that they did two nights 
on all four, all three channels, not Fox, ABC, CBS, and NBC. And they ran that, I guess it was a four hours, two to four hours a night. I can't remember, but it was two nights in a row. And some of the people performed live, like U2 and The Stones, and some people were on tape. But Joel made that because he had to. And it was right after 9-11. And it was all candles everywhere, a lot of black and white footage. And they gave him an honorary Emmy. There was no category. They gave him one because it made me cry, you know? And then yeah, the, the, the miracle of... That's what Jackson's music has always done for me. It makes me cry of why I'm here. What's my place in the world? Will I find love? I mean, I'm happily married now, but it took me a long time. I had a lot of ups and downs for 23 years. I was divorced and no, maybe 22 or 21 by the time I met uh, Kelly. So that's been four years we've been together, but um, that's a long time to, to be looking for love in all the wrong places. That's the album we should be doing. Um, By the way, Bob, I, I love this so much. So you go off I on any so. tangent you want. Trust me. And the, and the police army loves this. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. The next song is Linda Paloma. Uh, honestly, probably my favorite song on the record, which is funny uh, because because it doesn't really fit with the full scope of this album. But it does of, if you know California rock and for you sure. know the roots of it. And it's hugely Mexican influenced yeah, also, very. as well as that uh, easy peasy Laurel Canyon type of music. You well, know, you see with, that, you know, it's funny that you're mentioning that is that is that even the way the logo for the pretender is written on the album cover, it's almost like that Chicano style of graffiti that you would find in Los Angeles. Well, it's it's all of California is Mexican art. I mean, all all of the missions, the California missions are Mexican missions. They're gorgeous. They're made of terracotta and clay and they were brought by people that wanted to missionaries that that built these beautiful churches that's our landmark churches in california and jackson is a is a california guy and there's just something and his voice says that it's one of those voices if you know it which most people should it's one of those voices like if you're like if you listen to nat king cole you go oh oh my god that's that's velvet, you know. Yeah. If you listen to James Taylor, it's like, oh, there's a friend. Not just because he sang Carol King's song, you got a friend. But there's a friend. If you listen to Bruce, you know who you're listening to. If you listen to Tom Waits, you know. You oh, can you definitely the, know. You're like, all right, I'm Tom Waits. <laughs> but it's all what alcohol and cigarettes will do to you by the end. <laughs> and he's, a, a, God, I just saw him in a movie. He's 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 unbel- He's one, another one of my favorites, actually. 
Uh, if people haven't seen Tom Waits, when we're back out and able to see if he tours, I saw him on stage and he was alone and he played the saw for 20 minutes. Ooh. And he sang with it and he would play it like the most gorgeous violin you ever heard. It's like Jack Kerouac was the greatest musician. That's Tom Waits. Yeah, oh, 100%. So Jackson is a part of all that, you know? He, so Linda Paloma, and I have a personal experience. So Please. I'm going to, if you have a track to play, would you play it? Yeah, let's play it because this might be my favorite moment on the entire record. Uh, Peter, play 304. But the more. That to me, that makes me cry. That's beautiful. And it's mariachi people that are amazing musicians. And it's just about, you know, it's about being in love with somebody, I think. Well, it translates to Beautiful Dove. And it was inspired by the mariachi musicians and singer he and Phyllis would repeatedly see at their favorite Mexican restaurant. This is actually kind of funny. Uh, Years later... Jackson found out that the mariachi singer used to blow kisses and flirt with Phyllis when he wasn't looking. Whoa. Well, that's not like I thought when you said blow, I got scared. So I didn't know. <laughs> she used to blow him in the bathroom at El Compadre. May I ask what city that was in where those singers were? Um, well, they recorded this in Los Angeles. But I'm wondering if where he was at was in Santa Barbara because I actually have an experience with him. And it's it's the first time. I, well, it doesn't really matter because all that matters is the connection that he had with the mariachi singers. Um, I was not on television yet much. Um, I had done a Richard Pryor movie and called Critical Condition, and one of the stars of it was Ruben Blades or Ruben Blades, and uh, I called him Ruben. But then he he ran for the uh, president of Panama. And he, he's just an amazing artist and actor, and I miss him, and um, I, I would love to connect with him. He's just a very special man. So he had a birthday party. I think it was connected to that. I don't even remember, but I'm suddenly in Santa Barbara at a Mexican restaurant that's gorgeous on State Street with a big patio, or off State Street, and I'm sitting next to Jackson Brown. And I'd never met him before. And I was trying to make him laugh. And I told him uh, I loved his work. And, you know, people get over that pretty quickly. It's not something you want to say to people a lot. I said it to Tom Petty once, and it was like my favorite moment. I met him at Gary Shandling's house because Gary was very close with Tom. And I went up to him and I said, you know, Tom, I I just... And he he looked over his glasses and he went, I know, man. I know. <laughs> so I didn't have to say anything. Yeah. I was like, it's the best way to get out for him. Yeah, and it's for also sure. satisfies the hell out of me. So um, so I'm next to Jackson, and you won't believe this. What sounds like this these guys behind him playing their guitars and and playing so perfectly 
we were having margaritas. They're playing this music all around him, mariachis. And he keeps giving them money to thank them. And he's in heaven. And all I could think about was this song. It's all I could think of because it was I was living it. I was living it with him. I'm wondering if that's the restaurant because I know he is. He was up there a lot. He lived there a lot. So I think he still has a place near it. Um, it was. I'm sure he doesn't remember it at all. And I've met. I've really met with him since and talked with him. And he's. I'll explain my. I'll tell you now. But but that that particular moment was one of the more poignant moments of someone that I loved so much and what they'd given me through their music, living kind of the roots of what that song was, which is as basic as it gets, you know. And so back to the scleroderma benefit that I always do. I've been doing it for 30 years uh, because of this wonderful woman, Sharon Monsky, who was the founder, and she loved Jackson Brown. And we always wanted to get Jackson to do our benefit. So for 30 years, I kept trying and his management were these two amazing people, and they still are, uh, Cree and Buddha, and they're lovely. And I kept asking, is it possible? Uh, and he was going to come to New York and do the benefit, but he got really sick. He couldn't do it. And I went, it's okay. And um, I invited Adam Duritz that night from Counting Crows, and he ended up on stage. <laughs> we just happened to have an electric piano. But um, Jackson wanted to do it, and then finally... Um, he did it for us in New York. And I think we raised almost a million bucks that night. And he sang a few songs and he sang for a dancer. I don't know if he did The Pretender. I, I, I don't remember, but I know that it was heartbreaking and meaningful. And it was Sharon Monsky, her favorite performer. And he went to her house once and I, I'm sure he remembers it. I've never spoken to him about it. And and she was very sick. Scleroderma, like my sister had. It, it can mess you up physically and um he just they sat there and drank she liked to drink you know do what the hell you can you know when when you're in pain and um he she just said i i just love him you know i wish i was healthy um and he was so that's the kind of kind person he is so he he flew to new york he did the benefit um, and then we went out afterward for an after party. We've never done an after party, and we haven't done one since because then COVID hit. So this was just a couple years ago. And we we had long talks about the disease and about disease in general and about life. And, um, and then here I am, a grown man, kind of, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking to someone that um, really has always touched my heart and He's as genuine as the music, you know? So Yeah, and I can only imagine because like like you said, it's just he's such a genuine person that when he when he talks to you, he's talking he's talking with you, not to you. He's not his there's no ego. It's just No, it's a human being. And if you and, and but that's true of almost anybody that's great. That's truly great. Uh unless they're so caught up in their unless they're really busy or they've got a lot going on. Or they're a prima donna, but I think the world's getting sick of prima donnas right now. <laughs> they're, uh, they're out. That's my, that's my. Well, they're not for everybody. But here, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you because you you've brought up the Scaroderma Research Foundation and with the the cool comedy hot cuisine fundraisers. How can our fans uh, learn about and help out? Oh, that's really sweet. Um, they just go to srfcure.org. 
srfcure.org, and that's Glertimer Research Foundation. Dot org and it's research in, in in the title. There's another foundation that's a good one, uh, but they don't have research. It's weird that you want to cure a disease and there's a couple foundations for things. There's two diabetes, there's two heart associations, but we're doing our part for research and they do nice work also. But this is um, my passion. I've been doing it for a long time and I'll always do it because I owe it to the people. I owe it to my sister and my friend Sharon. Yeah. So that brings up uh, the fourth song. Here come those Here tears come those again. Tears again. <laughs> because see, I get emotional. You bring up my no. loss of my sister, and this song, I happen to know you were going to tell me, but I'm going to tell you because that's you asked me to do this, and I'm passionate about it. He wrote it with Nancy Farnsworth, the only song on the album written with anyone else, and it was the mother of his wife that he lost. Yep. So he, so he had us. He had basically had uh, an unfinished song, and then he showed uh, Jackson. She showed Jackson some month earlier when Jackson and Phyllis were in Paris, and Jackson added some lines to the song he wrote about a lover who leaves to work some things out and grow, but ultimately doesn't return. Although it's murky on whether he is the lover or the loser. So yeah, so Nancy Farnsworth is credited as the co-writer. So it started with her song, and he added to it. And what's amazing about it, here comes those tears. Here come those tears again. Is with loss, there's a million years of it. So it's the immediate loss. You don't stop crying. You can't leave your home. You can't think. You lose someone that you loved. If it's your spouse, like in this case, you can't function. You can maybe write a song in a month. Or I don't know what the timetable was. I'm sure it takes a while. And then two years later. My experience with it is it hurts even worse. And you're like, wait, I thought I went through the hardest part. And then five years later, and then I lost a sister 25 years ago. I'm just dealing with now. So it's it doesn't, there is no answer. My mother once told me, uh, you never get over it. I wake up every day and think about them. So this, what's amazing about this song, you should play whatever here you have because yeah, sure. it's also just to, just to give everybody uh, a little history i would on think it. it's the beginning i would so, think you're going to play the beginning I, well i've got because uh, it turns into a rock song i mean it's really strange because it's so sad what it's about and yet um it's got a it's got this you know i don't know if i can open up uh, enough to let you in how do you let someone else in um because here come those tears again over my loss and that to me, and he's doing it up tempo, which is what's miraculous because it's against what the song is. This is probably the most poppy sounding song on the record. It also went to number 23 on the Hot 100 and number 15 on the adult contemporary list uh, almost exactly a year after Phyllis died. And it spent nine weeks on the charts. Uh, Peter, play uh, the taste that we have. Thinking I might just be strong enough after all. I mean, this is everything about loss. And then he says, when I hear your footsteps echoing in the hall. So, I mean, it's, you know, 
it's hard to talk about and not get emotional unless you got no feelings. And we got a lot of people that don't have them right now. But we'll be good. But he keeps going, here come those cheers again. And it's just, um, wow. It's, and he turns it into a relationship song, which is interesting. There's that one bridge where he, he says, I can hear you telling me how you needed to be free and how you had some things to work out alone. Now you're standing here telling me how you have grown. So that almost sounds like someone new is in his hallway that he's talking to. It doesn't sound like someone that passed away is saying that to him. It sounds like somebody new is there, but he can't, you know, here come those tears again. Now you're telling me how to hold them in. So someone is telling him to suppress his feelings for his wife. Um, so that to me, I guess, I'm not sure. You'd I mean, it, it, but, it, but also keep in mind, this was also written by Phyllis's mom too. So this could be, you know, trying to deal with, you know, the, the death of a child and maybe it's, it's her husband telling him or, or it could be that, you know, I don't want to say ghost, but like, like energy has to go somewhere and your, your sister and, and my father and my best friend, Angelo, like they never leave. Like I get signs all the time. No, they're here. They're I've here. got pictures of them everywhere in this room. I'm in a study of sorts. Um, but, but he, he is, um, and when you hear his voice and for people that don't know it, go through Jackson Brown's library people. Uh, he's got solo acoustics, uh, two record record, two album sets, uh, records, hell get an LP. And, and, and he's, uh, I think he's done three of them already. I might be wrong, but, uh, there's two that are his hits, the intros are as beautiful. It's his, you know, everybody kind of did things in a certain way. Bruce would do a five minute intro and an eight minute song, you know, uh, Jackson would, I love to hear him talk and he was funny and heartfelt. And that would lift you up at rather than hearing one sad song after another, which isn't what it is. It's heartfelt. It's who he is. So, um, I, you know, there's just, and then you flip the album over. And we have the only child. We, only child is a, a boy of mine as your fortune comes to carry you down the line and you watch as the changes unfold and you sort among the stories you've been told. If some pieces of the picture are hard to find and the answer to your questions are hard to hold, take good care of your mother when you're making up your mind. And then it just goes on and it's heart-wrenching because he's raising the kid and he... Um, Two sons, uh, ultimately, but at this time it's it's just it's one, one, yeah, it's Ethan one boy. So yeah, so um, it's inspired by Jackson and Phyllis's son Ethan, uh, who was two at the time. Uh, but Jackson also said it's about Phyllis. He explained, saying it's like two different people on the same subject. It's written to Ethan, warning him of the life that lies ahead. Here, let's play a little taste. Peter, play the cut. Let the disappointments pass Let the laughter fill your glass Let your illusions last Until they shatter Whatever you might hope to find Among the thoughts that crowd your mind There won't be many that ever really matter And then he says, but take good care of your mother and remember to be kind. Who writes that? You know, you know, usually it would be with religious music, uh, but people don't want to hear, you know, 
you know, Elvis Costello, one of the most brilliant, cynical, funny artists, you know, and a a cynic writes what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding because there's nothing so funny about it. It's what we need. But nobody, a lot of people don't want to hear all you need is love because let's go, how can I love? I don't have my freedom or how can I love because they don't want to change everything overnight. You know, and everybody's at each other and it just needs to, everybody needs to shut the fuck up and look at a bigger picture because we're, uh, it's a human race. It's not a race to kill each other or to just have your way be the way that we need to collaborate. Uh, And that's, I mean. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy. And I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com and I'll see you there. What's so beautiful about this, Bob, is that, I mean, this is literally like he's talking to his son and and giving you life lessons that we all need to hear. You know, let the disappointments go. Laugh as much as you possibly can. You know, uh, you know, take good care of your mother. Remember to be kind. I mean, these are it's it's and you have no idea. Like if you if you just heard this on the radio, you just be like, all right, he's saying something. But when you really it's he's giving you these really great things to live by in in a beautiful song well and later in his career he started to do more um stuff about the earth you know lives in the balance it was a lot of warning of what's happened to this country it was his version of green day's american idiot you know it was his version of where are we going i mean he's never stopped time the conqueror you know what what that's later album um Solo Acoustic Volume 2. I'm wondering if this is Volume 3. If there isn't, there will be any minute. But, <laughs> you know, he does end up breaking out of this personal stuff. Still goes into it in, in his later albums. But the organics of it, you know, For Every Man, Jackson Brown before that, and then The Pretender, and then Late for the Sky, you know, Late for the Sky is in 74, which is... Uh, that's two years b- before this album. And then Running on Empty, I think, is the one after this. But, uh, you know, Late for the Sky has um, For a Dancer. And, and For a Dancer, that's that's the song that people play at memorials. That's the song that he has played at memorials for people, that he played at my scleroderma benefit, um, and Fountain of Sorrow. I mean, there it, it's not like, Oh, people going, oh, yeah, I want to get bummed out. No, you want to connect. Yes. You want to connect with your feelings and with your family, which takes me to the next song because someone's coming to my house and I don't want to lose you. <laughs> yeah, we can't. We can't. We've got three more never, I never, never want to. I never want to let you go. I want to hold you in my arms oh, forever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why didn't we do that album? <laughs> All right, Daddy's Tune. So the next song is not about, it's an influence of what his, you know, he was talking to his son, in the song prior. Now here he is 
talking to his dad, right? So this is like perfectly sequenced. So after the song to his son, uh, we got Jackson's father. Jackson said, Daddy's tune is a song I've meant to write for years. Sometimes I'll only have a chorus and know exactly what the song is about. Suffice to say, that's a feeling I had about my father for a long time. It's something I wanted to say to him, and I'm glad I did. And it also, it starts so mournful and regretful about the relationship. And then halfway through... It, it rocks out with this horn section and hope. Uh, here, Peter, play the transition. Leaving so much still left to say But daddy, I want to let you know somehow The things you said are so much clearer now And I would turn the pages back But time will not allow best line in the song is filled with reconciliation and understanding when he says make room for my 45s along beside your 78s nothing survives but the way we live our lives i love that well uh, and that's not ridiculing what came before you exactly and that's that's a knowledgeable person he's a knowledgeable man he's a philosopher your best songwriters are philosophers um, I mean, it's just, he's a balladeer. He's a rock and roller. He's, you know, this is a, a pretty amazing album. And, and, and I'm wondering if John Landau had a lot to do with some of those ideas of combining things like that to have him rock out on something that would, if it was a ballad, you'd just be crying. You know, you can't cry the whole album. So, <laughs> but, but then he, he also says, uh, though among the regrets that I can't, get by there are just one or two unkind things i said to you daddy what was i supposed to do i don't know why it was so hard to talk to you i guess my anger pulled me through now how many people have thought that about their dad no matter what the circumstance so he's hitting universal themes by sharing his experience and he's doing it with that again that recognizable so beautiful voice you know so you you feel like a friend is talking to you. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you because, you know, there's so much to be said about how different you are to the part you played as American's dad. And- yeah, and, and the video show host, but those were jobs. And I also loved doing family stuff. But before I did that, I was, you know, there's a clip on my Instagram from a Rodney Dangerfield Young Comedian special. And I was saying really screwed up shit. You know, I was really... I would say I have the brain of a shepherd and the body of a 16-year-old boy, and they're both in my car, and I want you to see them. That's not a guy you hire as Danny Tanner. But, you know, I you look at your greatest comedians, you know, the ones who, you know, Richard Pryor broke boundaries, broke broke through the wall, knocked the wall down, and still did family movies. I mean, you know, he was the toy. He was like, you know, I'll do that, you know, and... and not ashamed of anything he would do you want to make everybody laugh robin williams did very dirty stand-up if people call it dirty i don't it's just robin's was beautiful and then was mrs doubtfire probably one of the when 9-11 happened happened the day it happened and everybody was just running that footage fox tv the network ran mrs doubtfire and i knew the president at the time and i thanked him 
I just said, you did a beautiful thing. And I watch, and I talk to people when I do stand-up sometimes, and I'll talk to a couple thousand people, and they watched Mrs. Doubtfire that night. People that lived through it got to Fox TV because it wasn't like I'm going to go watch cable. Yeah. It was like you're flipping through the news, seeing if there's any new developments. But then you just watched it, and it's about a father trying to get his kids back. And he'll dress up as Mrs. Doubtfire to get them back. But that's what it's about, you know, and about living with divorce. So it was a... Let me get to the seventh song, second to the last title track. Sleeps Dark and Silent Gate. Jackson has said that this was the only song on here that was directly influenced by Phyllis's death. It's about those moments waiting to fall asleep when you reflect on your past and everything. And it also speaks of a sudden awakening after years of sleepwalking through life here. Let's play, play the first verse, Peter. Sometimes I lie awake at night and wonder where my life will lead me waiting to pass under sleep's dark and silent gate. So, and that's only a two minute and 37 second song. And it's, it's like, it's literally like a beautiful poem. Oh my God. Yes. And then he just, um, he goes at the very end, he goes, Oh God, this is some shape I'm in. When the only thing that makes me cry is the kindness in my baby's eye. I mean, I don't know what you do with that. And this one didn't have an upbeat thing. You know, <laughs> it, doesn't, it, it doesn't kick into anything. It, it hangs but there. But it, it's not completely morose either. It has a nice tempo to it, you know? It, it's, it's got a, a, a sweet melody, and it's got his voice getting you through. And I, he must have been, I would think he would, he would be bawling during trying to record that damn thing. Yeah, I, I mean. Or a lot of these. I mean, I'm crying listening to him. But also, you know, this is him healing. This is him being, yeah. he's, he's an honest performer. And it's like, it's just like, it's just like us taking, you know, those, those harsh things that we've done in our lives and then telling them on stage as comedians. And it's like, we're taking this negative thing and making it a positive. So I, sometimes that's all you have is to be able to just be as honest as possible. And it's beautiful. I try to do that and it, it scares people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's really interesting is right after uh, this song, which is the title song of the album, which is the definable song, the other song that uh, was a, 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 a big hit that became even a bigger hit uh, more recently, you know, uh, 20 years later, became, it, it became a multi-platinum, it, I read, that the, or the album did. I can't remember. My, my knowledge is, is only what I Google. The album, one year later than The Pretender, was running on empty. So The Pretender takes you to a place where you're hearing epic Jackson Brown. You know, it's, it's a six-minute song almost. And once the opening starts, I, I, I wouldn't mind if you could just do the opening. Just do the opening?
I'm gonna rid myself a house in the shade of the freeway. Gonna pack my lunch in the morning and go to work each day. So you know, uh, it, you know, it's a guy living his life, just walking through life. It's the cover of the album, you know. And he's doing a routine life, and he's trying to figure out what's bigger than this, you know? Um, I've been aware of the time going by. They say the end, it's the wink of an eye. And when the morning light comes streaming in, you'll get up and do it again. Amen. And then it's got a good sexual part later, you know, because he has this dream, which is my favorite part. It hit me. Uh, There's a couple great things. Um, This is one of them. I'm going to find myself a girl who can show me what laughter means and we'll fill in the missing colors in each other's paint by never dreams and then we'll put our dark glasses on and we'll make love until our strength is gone and when the morning light comes streaming in, we'll get up and do it again. Get it up again. And I, that's when I go, <laughs> amen, Jackson. Yeah, dude. You're preaching to me. <laughs> and then, then the best is right after that. He goes, and this is verse seven because this is a long-ass great song. And and he goes, I'm going to be a happy idiot and struggle for the legal tender where the ads take aim and lay their claim to the heart and soul of the spender and believe in whatever may lie in those things that money can buy, though true love could have been a contender. So why are you chasing the buck if you can go out and have a... Oh, yeah, dude. Well, this is him. You know, you know, this is basically the whole ethos of the album, which is is the loss of a dream and predicting, you know, this is what, 78, 76. And we say this is 76. This is the rise of the yuppies of the 80s. This is this is everything that that, you know, the hippies fought against. And next thing you know, they're like like Abby Hoffman. And who's the other guy from the Chicago seven? They all became that Uh, Jerry. um, um, Jerry. uh, Ruben, Jerry Ruben, they all became Gordon Gecko, Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen, and uh, yeah, right, I just saw that, that too. But so yeah, in, it's really good. In 2015, Jackson said it's grappling with the question of whether the life you're living is the life you thought you were heading for. The pretender is an open question. Do you find life's best qualities by having children and a job, or in tearing those things down? What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we're at a crossroads right now. Yeah, I mean, half the people believe so. A lot of people believe in family. I do believe that. Period. No matter what you believe, you believe in that. You don't believe in you know. A lot of people believe you got to make a living to have a family. But if you make money, the only thing. If you go to Randy Newman's, it's money that I love. If all you care about is that, then it's all you care about. That's the problem we're living through right now, and people don't know that we've kind of been tricked by people that only care about money and they might have love. I do think they have love for their family. Even the ones that we think are the worst people on the planet. I do think they have love for their family, but they, they're, you know, the ego's out of control. They're dysfunctional emotionally, but some of them people with money are great people. So you can't just go, do you want money or do you want to be a good person? That's bullshit. Cause you can, have all the money in the world and be the best person. I mean, we see people, we see examples, but I mean, the whole point is right after he says, though, true love could have been a contender. He goes, are you there? Say a prayer for the pretender. 
who started out so young and strong only to surrender, which means he succumbed to the money, right? And then he says, say a prayer for the pretender. Are you there for the pretender? Say a prayer for the pretender. Are you there for the pretender? And at the end, he goes, are you prepared for the pretender? So are you pretending your life? And then he's telling you to pray. Pray for the person. Pray for that person that's living a life that's, I, this is my interpretation, that's based on the want of money and things. Sure. Um, but he, and, and, and he leaves doing us, the same old, same old. For sure. But he leaves us with some hope. And like you said, to heed the warning, not to wait until it's too late to wake up and follow your dreams. And that is why this record is this, this roller coaster of, of acceptance and the end of the innocence. And then, but you come out and he's kind of like showing you, he's like, no, but this, you can change. You can still have a life. You can still move on. You can still find love. And cause this journey regardless of all the pitfalls, it's still a beautiful journey, you know? And that pain that we have is kind of what, what makes it beautiful. The fact that we get to feel that. That's what connects us to, to life. Yes. And, and that's why this isn't, that's why this is such a great album. Cause that's not the first song on the album. And some people would have done that back in the day or right now, but the fact that it's an opus, you know, this is his statement. In fact, this song was used in Mr. Holland's opus, uh, the pretender. <laughs> Was it really? I don't know how I did that. I should be doing a commercial for you right now. But the weird thing for me, the thing that's so amazing is one year later, so much started for him out of this album that went to such a serious place in his heart and in his soul and in his life and reevaluating and trying to understand that then he did Running on Empty. And that thing comes out of the gate with Running on Empty, Running on. And it just goes. It's got... The Road, and it's got Rosie, which is about jerking off. Rosie, you're all right. You wear my ring. When you hold me tight, Rosie, that's my thing. When you turn out the lights, I got to hand it to me. <laughs> looks looks like it's me and you again tonight, Rosie. I mean, it, you know, so, the, and cocaine is in there, not the Eric Clapton one. Yeah. But his cocaine, it, it, it's, you know, you take Sally, I'll take Sue. Ain't no difference between the two. Cocaine running around my brain. I mean, uh that album, the loadout is on it. Stay. He does stay, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's a real traditional, amazing song. Is, is Stay Sam and Dave? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, know I, I honestly, out of everything you just said, you just mentioned about the next album, the only one I know is Running on Empty, which is a phenomenal song. Well, Stay is Stay just a little bit longer. I think it's what it is. Let's see. Let's find out right now. Hit me. Because I have what you have, which is uh, okay. Oh, no, I took a survey. (laughs) (laughs) So when you hear him, when he was doing Stay at the end of the next album, it was an homage to the roadies, the union don't mind, stay a little bit longer. It's how he would do a two-hour and 45-minute show, and then he'd play Stay, and he would have, you know, background singers, and just, it's an amazing song, and he's thanking the crew, and it's just, it's... He's just a gracious, wonderful person. But The Pretender is what loaded him up for, you know, what started as an amazing musician and writer and singer in his first few albums. And Late for the Sky, it's another masterpiece. But then it set him up for so much amazing work. So I'm looking forward to his next album. There's not a thing he hasn't, 
I, I, I will hear everything he's ever done and listen to it. He's just one of the more special people. No, completely. Do you want to do a couple facts and we'll get you out of here? Absolutely. Okay. The back cover has a photo of naked baby Ethan Brown playing in the Pacific Ocean next to the translated poem, Brown and Agile Child, by Chilean poet Pablo Neruda, which he actually wrote to his younger self from his perspective as an older man. The album features many of the stars of the California rock scene that grew out of the Troubadour in Los Angeles. That includes three-fourths of Asylum Records, house band, local session, and concert pros. The Section, which was bassist Leland Sklar, pianist Craig Durge, and drummer Russ Kunkel. Guitarist Danny Korchmar is the fourth member. Also known as the Mellow Mafia, they played together or individually on hits from Carole King, James Taylor, Warren Zevon, Linda Ronstadt, and Joni Mitchell. And they toured with them. I would see Russ Kunkel was always the drummer for everybody I would go see yeah. from that time. I actually, when uh, it's sort of the connection between uh, me and Jackson is my friend Tull took me to NAM, which is that music conference in Anaheim, and they were giving a uh, they were giving an award, like a lifetime achievement award, to Jackson Brown, and all of those guys were there. I literally met all of these people. Jackson's not there, but he's in he's in the solo picture. But it's just so cool to like be hanging out with them and have no idea who they were, and then finding out everything about them later. So I wanted to give you, uh, I wanted to ask you this: What advice would you give young Bob? Um, pull out. (laughs) (laughs) That's great advice, man. Right. Um, no, I would say, um, just don't stop. Don't stop and don't let anybody tell you that you have to stop. And, um, and I guess be, be considerate of others and other people's feelings. Uh, especially when success happens, sometimes you can go into your own little world uh, and if it doesn't happen in the way you want it to learn how to love yourself through it. Don't go. I failed because you didn't. Everybody's got a different journey, you know? And some people, sometimes I'll go, wow, why didn't this happen? Why didn't I get this? Why didn't this go? And movies I didn't get and yada, yada. And then I go, wait a minute. Rodney Dangerfield was 58 when he did Caddyshack. So, and that's him behind me there. That's uh, red Fox and Rodney right there. Oh, wow. But it's, you know, it's a struggle uh, to get your stuff done. And here we're talking about Jackson, who was a young man, you know, handsome, California, part of that amazing scene. There was a a thing, I guess it's on, I don't know if it's HBO or Netflix, but it's about uh, Laurel Canyon and all the artists that were up there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if Jackson's in it. I I know Crosby, Stills, Nash are in it, uh, and Young, and uh, a bunch of people that from some of those... They all knew each other, so. But there's also, I mean, Jackson's covered a, a real gamut too. He's had gospel in his in his albums and in his shows, and he's had. He's just, uh, he's just so special, and he's. Uh, I'm so glad that I can't wait to hear what he releases next. I can't. He has a big tour coming up in 2021, which uh, will happen because you know by the fall we're all rocking and rolling. And then by 2022, if people have a chance to go see him in concert, you will. Some people, you go, well, I don't know. I've never really gotten into him. And then you go see a show, and then you go, oh, okay. Uh, then you go, you get to the what you don't normally get. You get to go back 
and just inhale all those albums. And you go, holy shit, I just discovered a holy grail of music. And that happens with certain artists, you know. Um, with Bruce Springsteen, some people go, oh, I don't never really. Uh, oh, really? Well, why don't you go see him live? Please and, uh, go see him live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I saw his show on Broadway, and I got to talk to him afterward, and I'd met him before, but it was awkward. I didn't know what to do. He's like a hero, you know? What do you say to a hero? It's very hard when you meet people that inspire you very much. And, and you, you just thank them. You just thank them. That's it. That's all you got to do is thank them. I, you know? I always do too much. So do I. I was, <laughs> I was downstairs with my wife and two daughters at, at Broadway, and, 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 and Bruce was saying hi to a couple of young men and his dentist and his wife. And I, I think that was it. And then Patty came down the steps, and I was saying some, something about how he's grown. I can't believe. How can you be so amazing and then grow more? And he's like, well, I've never heard that before. And then I know someone who's a good friend. He went, no, of his and said, no, Bruce didn't mind that. And I go, okay, thanks for helping me through that. (laughs) But I never say the right thing. And then the only thing I said was, um, Patty said, honey, we have to go. I said, okay, I'll be right there. I'm talking to Bruce. Um, and that, (laughs) (laughs) and Bruce, uh, he laughed as much as he could laugh. (laughs) He's, he's, I mean, he's, 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 another personal hero. He's a personal hero. He's one of my heroes in my whole life, you know? Yeah, he's... What does his laugh sound like? Just like the working man? Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of silent, too. <laughs> I think it was a silent laugh. I mean, you if you watch his newest thing on HBO Max, it's quite beautiful. There's two. Um, and the last one with the E Street Band and going to recording, there's laughing and you see why he's the boss, because he is. Um, and I don't know... I love so many people in music. All comedians love all musicians, and all musicians love some comedians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, it's funny. Um, uh, Jackson, I think it's on the road. I'm not sure, but he goes, uh, he talks about being on the road with the bus. Or maybe it's during stay. Yeah. And he goes, uh, we got uh, all kinds of music on the bus. We got R&B. We got Richard Pryor on the video. You know, it, it, so there's always a, a connection of what it's... It, he said the the only times that that seem too short is the times that we get to play. And then he goes, people, you've got the power over what we do. You can sit there and wait or you can pull us through. Come along, sing a song, what, whatever. But it's it's thanking the audience for being on the road. For, and they're, they're making stop after stop. And um, he's just an appreciative, great person. And people should listen to The Pretender. And then go backwards and forwards. Everybody, if, if, because, you know, listen to The Pretender, go back, listen to For Every Man, and then continue on the journey. Uh, Bob, this was phenomenal. This was so much fun, man. I really enjoyed this too. And next time you do the Beatles, get a hold of me. Joe McHale will just botch just it. Botched I mean, it, dude. <laughs> oh, God. Right. He's an idiot. He thinks Eleanor Rigby's a whore. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you know she was kind of. Right. That, it's a school. Yeah. Was it? I think, or it's where he lived. Lived in the church. I think she was a nun. Wow. No, I don't think it's a lady. Oh, God, I have to do all the work. Uh, okay, we got to find well, you're gonna out. Have to, you're going to have to go through three surveys to get to it. Paul McCartney came up with the melody as he experimented on his piano. However, the original name of the protagonist that he chose was not Eleanor Rigby, but Miss Daisy Hawkins. You were right. The composer Donovan reported that he heard McCartney play it to him before it was finished with completely different lyrics. Uh, so... 
Father McKenzie refers to Father Tommy McKenzie, who was the compare at Northwich Memorial Hall. How did uh, I not McCartney know that? Said he ca- <laughs> McCartney said he came up with the name Eleanor from actress Eleanor Braun, who had starred with the Beatles in Help. And Rigby came from the name of a store in Bristol. Uh, he, so there's meaning for all this stuff, you know? And that's what we're trying to figure out. I love it. McCartney wrote the first verse by himself, and the Beatles finished the song in the music room of John Lennon's home at Kenwood. Uh, just to let everybody... Anyway. Just, I just want to say this, Bob, just so everybody knows. That album is coming up in seven years on the podcast, so we're giving everybody a little taste of what we're going to do in Revolver, y'all. Uh, seven, it's seven years it's, it's coming up? It's in the top ten. Oh, oh it's I'm in the sorry. top ten. So, so we do. We've got seven years. Seven, seven years from now. We just hit. I mean, we just broke into the three hundreds. I mean, the the final episode of this show airs May thirty first, twenty twenty eight. This is great news. I will tell you to remember this for that show. The, uh, Eleanor Rigby is often described as a lament for lonely people or a commentary on post war life in Britain. And I remember. It was in Yellow Submarine, I believe, and it was all dark gray. And, uh, and so, you know, that stop animation almost. And it's, it's sad. You know, it has a very sad feel to it of a post-war Britain. Is a, uh, I guess that's what it is. Anyway, I really loved uh, pretending like I enjoyed this talking about The Pretender. <laughs> Anything you want to promote, buddy? Go ahead. Oh, just uh, Bob Saget's here for you, my podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or spatula i don't know wherever you get your podcast get it on spatula but, and where do i get this podcast uh, Everywhere. on spatula you get it on spatula and then <laughs> um, i'll be on caligula as well have it on caligula bob this was fantastic thank you buddy what did i tell you what did i tell you the one and only bob saget make sure you check out his podcast bob saget's here for you you can find it on all the platforms that podcasts have Find him on all social media at Bob Saget. And for all things Saget, go to his website, bobsaget.com. Now, for new music this week, guys, we have a song from a former guest. My good, I'm going to call her a good friend. I don't care if she doesn't follow me. I love her. Rita Wilson, guys, she joined us for number 410, Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind. And Rita's taking her Dylan fandom to the next level on this new track. And you are listening to I Want to Kiss Bob Dylan. Does Tom Hanks know? Does Tom Hanks know you wrote that, Rita? Woo, girl. The reflective track was co-written by Rita during quarantine with critically acclaimed singer-songwriter Caitlin Smith and Grammy and Brit and, you know I love this, Mercury Music Prize nominated Jennifer DeCivilio and co-produced by Rita and multi-Grammy award winning Chad Carlson with Chris production in rootsy arrangements featuring warm acoustic guitar and harmonica the song sees rita further diving into her own signature pop and country sound guys i love rita wilson she is such a sweet soul check out her music on spotify on apple on title any way you stream buy the track on apple whatever way you get music just fucking buy it and show your love and support for an incredibly talented artist and you can find Links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, 
White Stripes Week as we go deep into their 2003 album, Elephant. Y'all got homework to do. Listen to the album, Stay Fleecy, Doobble Doo. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.